I'm Chimsy. And I'm Hazel. I'm Malawian. I'm Scottish. And together, in partnership, we're hosting the People to People podcast. And in Chichewa, it's Antukwantu. We're exploring the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi by having people to people conversations. We're having conversations with as many people as possible in both Scotland and in Malawi to really dig deep into what partnership means. And in this episode, we're talking about perspective. Yeah, I've been thinking about perspective. It's something that you might hear a Scot who has visited Malawi say, like it gave them perspective, by which I suppose they mean it changes the way they view the world. I suppose perspective is something that changes all the time, isn't it? You know, when you were young, your perspective on the world was absolutely different to what it is now. And depending on the people who you've met and the experiences that you've gone through, that also changes, which changes your perspective on the world. Yes. And do you think that you can ever see from someone else's perspective? Not entirely. But I guess you can have a little glimpse of how that person sees the world. Yeah. I think you can really try, can't you? Yeah. You can make space to connect with people who have really different perspectives from you. Yeah. And like work it out. But you would never fully be able to see from somebody else's oh, viewpoint. Oh, to- totally. No, I don't know. you. The way that I view the world is totally different to the way that you view the world. Um, mm-hmm. You've lived in different countries before, but the countries that you've lived in are very different to the countries that I've lived in. And it's a big one, isn't it? The countries that you've been in. Yeah. Like, the culture that you've been exposed to is something that does really change perspective. This theme was really inspired by a conversation we had with Dr. Kathy Ratcliffe, who has done a PhD in this very theme. So we are going to hear from her later on in this episode. One thing in recent years that's interesting about Malawi and Scotland is that there are a lot of personal relationships that go between the two countries. And I find that really interesting as an experiment because it's quite unusual. And so what interests me is what difference does that make ultimately? You know, what, what's, the, what's the impact of that on people in Scotland and people in Malawi? To what extent does that help them understand each other more? To what extent does it do what some of the intention is, which is to reduce poverty? Because obviously that gives people in Malawi what we would call social capital because they've got these contacts in Scotland and how how does that make them different, their lives different from the lives of other people around about them who maybe don't have that contact. I think there's a lot in the development sense, there's a lot to unpick about that, about what what difference that makes. Um, But I do think it's something quite unique, really. I mean, Cathy, that is literally what this whole podcast series is about. You've nailed the theme. Later on in this episode, we're also going to hear from Laura Curtis-Moss from Earth in Common. I guess I do have a lot of concerns, like as, you know, as a white woman working on a project in Africa, I do have a lot of concerns about whether it's equitable and about my own sort of inherent prejudices and actually is, is what we're doing for in the best interests of people who actually live there. 
Also, in this episode, we speak with Dr. Mapata, Principal of the College of Medicine at the University of Malawi. Yeah, he has a wealth of wisdom around our theme of Scotland and Malawi partnership. Yeah, he's um, someone we can ask all the important questions to. It was really lovely speaking to him, wasn't it? He was just so full of life. Yeah, he was great. And the important questions, of course, are like, what's the Malawian equivalent of haggis? <laughs> yes, uh, which, which, which it did say you're going to have to listen. a year coming to Glasgow. Yes. You must have made some good friends. Very, very good friends. Uh, they lied to me about haggis and I was looking for that animal, <laughs> but uh, I never got to see the animal, unfortunately. <laughs> They're very rare, um, the haggis. So they only come out at certain times of day and um, yeah, you're lucky to see one. <laughs> yeah, did, but, did you try uh, some haggis? Yes, I love it. Actually, I love it. Actually, every time I come, I would ask for that. Do you like haggis, Jimsy? I don't mind it. I like vegetarian. (laughs) I like vegetarian haggis, though. That's pretty cool. That's pretty nice. um, Doctor Mapata, what is the Malawian equivalent of haggis? Mm, I think it will be. We call them offals. (laughs) So so... I love those. So I, I would say maybe that's the equivalent of it. <laughs> oh my goodness, my ta- my towel, my yeah. towel. Yes, yeah, the towels. Yeah. Sorry, oh, that's all right. Is it an animal as well? <laughs> I knew she would get it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, she she can come and find it when she she comes to Malawi. She we can let her go on a hunt. <laughs> Is it vegetarian? <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a vegetarian option. Yeah. Oh, I can't eat it. I've never, I've never had real haggis. <laughs> I've never eaten meat, so don't know. Ever since you were born. Um, yeah, ever since I was born. Huh. Yeah. I I think it's it's a very it's it, it, I I don't know anyone who is vegetarian in Malawi. Yeah. There's there's this everyone wants to have msima with nyama. Yeah, <laughs> no, but now you're getting quite a lot, actually. I've seen quite a number now. Actually, there's one vegetarian restaurant, and my wife goes there. I have never been. I'm Wengoni, so it's a bit difficult. <laughs> that is the excuse my mom always uses. She's like, I can't stop eating meat. I'm Goni. Yes, yes I am Goni. What, what does that mean? <laughs> Goni people are well known for eating meat. The the hunter gatherers were yeah. hunter gatherers. Am I yeah. right? Uh, yeah, originally so connected to the Zulus from South Africa. So we ran away from Chaka Zulu, and they 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 went up Africa and they settled in Malawi. So if we were to do some uh, genetics, we would have some traits as our inheritance to uh, genetic makeup to them. If you know the Zulus, they also take quite a lot of meat, and similarly the Ngonis, we normally talk about that. Uh, that would be a good excuse for Mingoni. It's just in my blood. <laughs> Don't worry. We did ask Dr. Mopata about his very important work as well. Not just Haggis. Yes. <laughs> he talks about three projects that he's been involved with where there's been a central partnership with Scotland. And the first is to do with dentistry. 
I hate going to the dentist, like it's not nice, but I'm very glad that I live somewhere that dentistry is available to me. Like when we had lockdown, I was really afraid of getting like toothache and not being able to go and have it sorted out um, because it was shut for COVID regulations. Like toothache is miserable, isn't it? I've, I've never had a toothache before. You've never had a toothache? No, ever. I say that got, and then watch, watch it happen next week. Have you got like any fillings or? No. Perfect teeth. I mean, they're not perfect, but I've never had a toothache or I don't have any fillings and I eat lots of sweets and lots of chocolate and I'm fine. Wow. You're lucky. Yeah. Maybe you don't think it's that important to have dentists. <laughs> <laughs> We only have 43 dentists in Malawi. All of them trained outside. If you go into the villages or you go into the districts, there is no dentist. They have dental therapists, but not dentists. And to me, I know how painful it is if you have an aching tooth or you have some problems in there. There are also research that has shown that uh, through the oral health, you can have an impact on some non-communicable diseases. To put that number of 43 dentists in perspective, See what I did there? Yeah. Do you know, <laughs> thank you, how many dentists there are in Scotland? I couldn't tell you. Um, over 2,000? Over 3,000. Yeah. So in 2019, there were 3,674 NHS dental practitioners in Scotland. So there's probably more who are private dentists. But wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and we need to bear in mind that the population in Scotland is less than 6 million, while the population in Malawi is over 18 million. So Dr. Mopatsa decided that he was going to try and do something about it. During one of my trips to Glasgow, a very cold day, I asked to say, do you have a dentist, somebody I can talk to? Because I was, then I was the principal of the college and we were thinking of starting a, a dental school. So I met Professor Jeremy Bagg, the only way I could meet him was to meet him at 8 a.m. in on a cold, very cold morning on, on, in Glasgow. I love that he's remembering this detail of such a significant meeting and that it was at 8 o'clock in the morning in the freezing cold in Glasgow. So, <laughs> yeah, so it was, uh, we, we met in a, in, a, in a conference room, the welcome center on the main campus. Actually, I had gone with my colleague. I mean, we were five that time. And they all refused. I was the only one who went to meet uh, uh, there. So I had to walk from the hotel where I was. And we met there just with two of us. Though you can imagine a Malawian very cold as it was. I'm a tea person and it was worth it, my tea. So I met him, we discussed. He was about to retire then. Then he changed his mind. Now we are friends. We can text, we can WhatsApp and other things. Since 2018 or so, We've been able to come up with a curriculum. We've got a grant from the Scottish government, about 1.3 million pounds. And that has allowed us to start dental training. We have uh, now, as I'm speaking now, as of last week, we had the three, third cohort of students coming in, meaning we have a total of 47 students who are studying a Bachelor of Dental Surgery. And I think in three years' time, we'll graduate the first dentist fully trained in Malawi. Now. To me, that's one example of a project where they listened to what we wanted. 
we had gone to other partners, other countries. They said our dental uh, oral health is not important. Let's focus on infectious disease and others. I actually say Malawi deserves better. Dentist is one of the things that makes our life make our life better. But dentists do make life better. It is an underappreciated profession. Thank you, dentists. One of the things that I had told Jeremy, Professor Jeremy Bag, was that uh, if we have to do a dental program, I want to have dentists, what I call dentists that are globally competent, but are locally relevant. Globally competent and locally relevant. That's nice too, isn't it? Yes, that 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 is good. I genuinely loved the fact that he said that, you know, where you're internationally recognized, but you also recognize and realize the people, your local people's needs. But that wasn't the only thing to come out of that trip. The group that I work with at the College of Medicine, we came to discuss to see how we could work with University of Glasgow. And we were hosted by uh, the center, Wellcome Trust Center for Parasitology. It used to be called uh, immunity immunology they asked us to say what do you want because initially we were seeing different things so we told them to say what we want is to have a lab facility we wanted to come up with a, a facility that will be accessible that will be owned by malawians but that will be internationally accredited so within that time apart from working at 8 a.m from the dental thing we discussed this and we came up with a proposal. We took it to the Scottish government. And uh, I'm happy to say they supported us with one million pounds. And we had to bring in a bit of funding from Wellcome Trust and a bit of funding from uh, uh, World Bank. But it's mostly being the Scottish government. And this has allowed us to refurbish an old laboratory to a, you know, a new laboratory, state of the art. The benefit of it, I call it a symbiotic. It will be a facility that is owned College of Medicine learned by Malawians, but it meets international standards that uh, Scottish scientists will be able to use this particular facility to do their research. So it's also for benefit for the Scottish people, for Malawi, and in the end, uh, it's got a global impact as part of that. And having a state-of-the-art lab in Malawi has turned out to be a very useful thing uh, during the global pandemic. Recently, we were funded by the Scottish Funding Council to compare COVID isolates from Malawi against those in uh, Glasgow. In that way, we can learn. I think you are aware of what has happened with the South African variant that uh, has caused havoc. So we are hoping through this blunter to blunter, we can compare these things. And just last week, we got extra funding that will allow us to do some trials to follow what is happening in our uh, Malawi setting. And there's one more detail that I really like about this laboratory. We are going to put solar energy. In that way, we are doing our bit in terms of reducing carbon footprint. At the same time, it's a sustainable way for savings that the college will be able to do. And the money that we were using for electricity uh, cost, which will save from here to, to power the particular laboratory, we can be used for other benefits. So that's the second project. But there's also a third one. I mean, I think there are even more than three projects. Like, I feel like we could have spent a week talking about all the different partnership projects that are going on uh, with the College of Medicine. But yes, there is one more important one that we need to mention. And it is all about mental health in Malawi. Until maybe five years ago or four years ago, we only had one psychiatrist. And uh, you can imagine for a population of 18 million, having one psychiatrist, Malawian, others would be 
the ones that were you know coming visiting for short term so through funding through the scottish government they gave us money and we were able to train uh, malawian psychiatrists as i speak now we have graduated uh, three if not four through part of that project all our medical students are exposed to mental health classes so that any graduate any doctor who's graduating now understands issues of uh, mental health and that is having an impact uh, in malawi where in the past there was a lot of stigma uh, because people wouldn't understand maybe people would be shy to talk about issues this is my friend chimsy and this is my friend hazel and you're listening to the people to people podcast delving deep into the unique partnership between scotland where I'm from, and Malawi, where I'm from. This episode is all about perspective. What do you think? Like that. (laughs) So there's a couple of other P's connected to perspective, isn't there? Yeah, we've got preconceptions and perceptions. Yes, and someone who has done some very deep thinking on this is Cathy Ratcliffe from an organisation called Thrive. In 2017, I finished a PhD, which is on basically how the West and the East construct Africa aid and development. So how we perceive these things, how we talk about them. And there's definitely a lot of shared history between Scotland and Malawi. And where you've got shared history, you do have different perceptions of each other. But by and large, I think probably the biggest influence on perceptions is what we're all trying to work through now, which is colonialism. Because colonialism is the origin of aid. Um, And aid hugely colours how we view each other. We ended up having a really interesting chat with Cathy about the media. Our media generally depoliticises African countries. um, And therefore, it's difficult without making the effort to understand what is really going on in the country. Uh, we, we, our media takes away, particularly from aid recipient countries, takes away the detail and the agency of the people there. If you follow Malawi reasonably closely, then you're aware of many political events that are even written out of our media's presentation of what's going on. Yes, that's really interesting. What do you think of what I've just said, Chimsy? Because, you know, you've got your own perspective on that. So how do you see the way our meet? Sorry, maybe I'm not meant to ask the questions. No, you can't ask away. How do you see of how the media in Scotland presents Malawi? What do you think of it? Um, I think sometimes it's really poorly presented. And I want... Am I just saying that because I love Malawi and I'm Malawian or... You know, I I remember the first time I moved to the UK, I was 16 and I went to sixth form in Newcastle. I was the only black person there. I was 16. And this one guy came up to me and he was like, oh, is this the first time you're ever wearing shoes because you're from Malawi? (laughs) And I remember thinking, sorry, what? And, And then another person came and they were like, oh, do you live in a hut in Malawi? And I was so confused. I was like, where are you getting all these ideas from? You know, mm. 
but it makes yeah. sense because you know when you see adverts of Africa it's yeah. starving children and people yeah. living in poverty which is yeah. true but also there's like I don't know there's like the beautiful side of Malawi you know there's the yeah. side that I know there's the beautiful culture the food the community there's all these things that make Malawi yeah. Malawi but yeah. in the same breath I don't want to say Malawi is not poor because it is um but you know just like this poverty in Scotland this poverty in England there's poverty in western countries too yeah. and I don't know sometimes it really infuriates me when people only see one side of Malawi like the side that they just show you know on UNICEF adverts and I understand these adverts are important to get people to yeah. donate so that people are able to you know go to school or be yeah. provided with food but also I don't know there's just there's just a whole different side to the country so I mean so many things affect how anyone presents anyone else and I guess that's really a big part of the problem is that it's people presenting other people rather than people presenting themselves <laughs> oh my goodness that is I was I was talking to someone about this the other day I was like Sometimes I wish African stories or stories from other countries were to were told by the people who reside yeah. in those countries. Yeah. So we did ask Kathy to tell stories about her experiences in Malawi. But I guess we just need to recognise that she's a visitor to Malawi and not Malawian. I was talking one-to-one -to, -one to girls who were just finishing primary school in Malawi. Without really thinking, I just said to the first one, what do you want to do after school? And she said something like, I want to be a nurse. And I said, oh, that's great. And she's really enthusiastic. And I spoke to the next one, one-to-one. -one, and she said something like, I want to be a teacher. That's, isn't that fantastic? I spoke to another one and she said something like, uh, you know, I want to be a, I don't know, a doctor or something. And then I spoke to the head teacher afterwards. And he said, we have done so well. This year, the pupils who are finishing primary school, I've got places for four of them at secondary school. And I thought, oh, so there's those little girls that I just spoke to. They'll be lucky if one of them gets to go to secondary school. If there's only four from the whole school and there were lots of them finishing that year. That's a story that moved me. It makes me think, I wonder if we could insert here the perspective of the Malawian girls in that story. Yeah, um, so if someone out there would like to help us gather that audio, that would be amazing. Yeah, I think we are trying to get as many perspectives as we can, but we also need to recognise that there are some significant challenges. Yeah, like the lack of internet, um, and for that matter, electricity, because ESCOM are quite good at turning off the lights, uh, especially in rural Malawi. Yeah, just to name a few challenges. <laughs> and perspective, it's not just about your culture and your upbringing. I think it's also about the way that your brain works, because everyone's brain works differently. I'm someone who, yes, I'm very moved by individuals, but I'm also very moved by statistics. So getting the baseline survey, all that information, and then uh, realising what's behind it, and looking at what works, and what doesn't work and getting ideas for future work because I'm very moved by the idea of children, including girls, not getting their secondary education. I find that tragic. It's the lost opportunity. It's the lost dream. 
And tell me what's your favourite statistic? <laughs> My favourite statistic? <laughs> oh, I'd have to think about that one. Uh, well, I, I guess I, I do like that statistic that 50% that of the pupils in the schools are girls. It's like, oh, well, that's a relief. Because we, would, we were led to believe that that might not be the case. But to find out that unsurprisingly, the parents are just as keen to get their girls into school as to get their boys into school. That is very good. That probably is showing that that was a, a bit of a negative implication about the parents, which turned out not to be true. And we're going to hear about a project that was about creating orchards in schools. But after some good listening on the ground, it also became about breakfasts. It's a really nice example of partnership working really well. We went around every single school and we asked a group of 10 people who were the school orchard committee. We asked each of them, so, you know, what, uh, what, what are your resources? What are your needs? How do the children eat? And because it emerged that this was a big problem. And, I mean, this was an estimate, but it turned out that, um, if I remember correctly, it was something like, only 29% of children, they thought, ate before school. And that meant that most children by far were only eating by the mid-afternoon when they would get home from school. What's a good school breakfast for Malawians? Well, I mean, there were different opinions on that. Um, in the schools, the schools... Uh, you know, the adults around the schools were very keen on soya and maize. Um, and then they would add to that sugar, so the sugar would have to be bought in. Um, and so ultimately that's what we ended up with because that's what they were most familiar with. But we had several people who would say, no, 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 I have sweet potato for breakfast. And sweet potato is very nutritious, you know, and then you've also got to think about how things are cooked and it might take less fuel to cook the, the sweet potato than it does to cook the soya and maize. But ultimately, we just went with what people thought, this is what we want to give our children. So, yeah, you go with that. But there were, there were all these competing voices because we were thinking about nutrition as well. There's quite a taste for the soya maize but often when it's provided as a humanitarian meal, it is fortified. So it's fortified with lots of nutrients. But of course, when you're growing it yourself, you're not going to add that fortification because, well, where are you going to get it from? And is it sold anyway separately? So that is, I would say, a bit of a debate that has to be had uh, yeah. So um, it's called pala in in yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I Every time I go home, I still eat that. Really? Okay, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. I guess like breakfast cereals that we give children in Scotland are often rubbish. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Nutritionally wise. And they're fortified though, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. But they're still sugar and... Yeah. No, I don't think the sugar's so much a problem. You know, I mean, sugar is good for energy and, you know, children need energy, don't they? So, uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose what it illustrates is there's just... Nothing is as simple as it appears from the start. There are debates to be had about everything. This is my friend Chimsy. And this is my friend Hazel. And you're listening to the People to People podcast. 
delving deep into the unique partnership between Scotland, where I'm from, and Malawi, where I'm from. This episode is all about perspective. What do you think? Like that. (laughs) (laughs) We also spoke to Laura, who is a trustee on another partner in the Orchard Project, who were crops in pots but have changed their name. Crops and Pots is now no longer Leith Community Crops and Pots. In the last fortnight, we've changed our name to Earth in Common. Yeah, to kind of better reflect the fact that we are working more broadly than just sort of backyard growing um, and to reflect the fact that we are involved in sort of international work. So the idea is that we all have both the earth as in the planet Earth in common, but also earth as in soil for growing things. So I think this project actually had a huge impact on the company. Quite a lot of learning, both in terms of sort of the really, really big picture, um, which is sort of what led us, I think, to change our name and and change our sort of mission a bit, is sort of realising that actually the same, which we all knew on on an intellectual level, but really feeling it on that emotional level, that actually all all communities all around the world are facing a lot of the same problems like to different degrees and and people have different you know obviously in in some places in the world there are additional barriers and additional problems but you know but basically you know in Leith and um and in Malawi and in Scotland you know there are Parents still want to make sure that their kids get an education parents still need to make want to make sure that their kids have a good breakfast it was also nice to hear about the project's impact on Laura personally. Yeah, growing up in, well, I grew up in England and then live in Scotland, but growing up in Britain, you do, like, you do have such preconceptions of what Africa's like. And I don't want to swear, but it's not true. It's embarrassing for me, even, you know, even in my 30s, I'm still having to learn that. I'm still having to, you know, really work to undo those preconceptions and those prejudices. Um, and it just, yeah, I would really like to see, I guess, kids growing up now not have all those stereotypes put on them. You know, because if it's taken me 30 years to kind of actively unlearn them. But like you said, you are actively trying to do that but you know if people don't actively choose to do something and that you're always on autopilot you always Mm -hmm. do the same things that you do because uh about a week ago (laughs) I was thinking I was like Chimsy because I'm currently training for a race but I keep doing the same distance and the same pace but that's like autopilot I was like if you Mm -hmm. genuinely want to do better you're going to have to try different things but if people are not actively choosing to learn things you just do the same things that you're used to you know remember last year in may when everyone posted the little black square uh for the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. and i'm like cool that's great but what are you actually doing to make a difference in people's lives you know if it's just you posting this thing and then every day going back to your usual life it doesn't Mm. really make a difference does it like you don't get to grow you don't get to change and everything remains the same so I love the fact that you said I'm actively (laughs) learning I guess I do have a lot of concerns like as you know as a white woman working on a project in Africa I do have a lot of concerns about whether it's equitable and about my own sort of inherent prejudices and actually is is what we're doing for in the best interests of people who actually live there and it's you know it's not dissimilar to a lot of the 
concerns I have as you know a middle class person when I'm working in impoverished areas in Scotland for example you just think you know am I actually coming to this with with the right attitude and intentions well, Laura is also part of the 2050 Climate Group and we're going to end with this lovely story of Laura's from when she hosted a Malawian member of the 2050 Climate Group who came to visit Scotland. Me and my wife are both women and Promise who came to stay with us is, he's a Christian pastor. So that was quite, yeah, obviously living very, very different lifestyles, but, you know, loads in common because we sort of cared about the environment, we cared about climate change and yeah and we've stayed in touch on twitter and and he's you know always like a when it's like our anniversary and things he'll always be the one to say congratulations and likewise him and his wife had a baby recently so of course we congratulated them and it was just really lovely and i think the thing that he really struggled with staying in our house was our vegetarianism like in terms of lifestyle <laughs> he didn't care like didn't care oh you're a lesbian whatever um didn't care about that but he did smuggle chicken into the house (laughs) because he was sick of my vegetarian cooking (laughs) so brilliant which brings us neatly back to our regional theme and it's a good place to end this episode If you're interested to find out more about the Orchard Project, we have a conversation with Evie Murray, who's CEO of Earth in Common, in our People and Planet episode, so here she is. You know, when we arrived at the top, there's these blue and yellow and really colourful butterflies, and it was just, you know, it, it was obviously a place that didn't get visited often by people, and so therefore it was completely sort of untouched and, you know, just the biodiversity that was just, and we were just wandering through it and it was, you know, spectacular. And if you really like hearing about the medical stuff, look out for our People and Pandemic episode. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So please follow us and if you can tell a friend about us. If you could leave us a review, we'd very much welcome your perspective. Our email is peopletopeoplepod at gmail.com. Let's continue the conversation. In this episode, you heard from Professor Mopatsama Pando, Kathy Ratcliffe and Laura Curtis-Moss. And the beautiful fiddle music and singing in this episode is by Kathy's daughter, Isla Ratcliffe. It was produced and presented by Chimsy Dory and me, Hazel Darwin-Clements. And today, we'll let Isla play us out.
The daylight color in me soon began to fade. I find my cell enticed by the colors it had made. Before the flames engulfed me, drops of rain fell from the sky. They brushed away the fire and lifted my horse high. Before the flames engulfed me, drops of rain fell from the sky. They washed away the fire and lifted my hopes high. For the kind of Scottish hippy dippy do gooder community, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. <laughs> I like that. That's definitely going in. <laughs> <laughs>